0: It's How Do We Fix It? with Richard and Jim.
1: Boosting your career in an age of disruption for I today,
2: I was someone who felt my career was broken, and then I understood it wasn't broken. I was just having a different career than a lot of people. I knew that I had this grab bag of skills, and I wanted to see where they could be applied. So I was, in some ways, relying on the judgment of others to reflect back to me who I could be. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. I, I
3: never thought of it that way. No,
2: it's really useful. It's basically a relationship. You have a relationship with your work, and figure out what that relationship is, and make it as good as you can.
1: Our show is about fixes.
0: Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it?
3: Let's talk about downloads yeah downloads is that what we're supposed to talk about this week yeah downloads we're asking people don't just stream the show if you can download it obviously that makes it easy for later listening but it also really shows up in all the metrics that the gods of digital communications say that we need to follow for visibility search engine optimization and the rest so So if you
1: like us do it
3: yeah and leave us a comment Hey, Jim, a lot has changed since
1: I was a boy. There were typewriters, there was the clatter of wire service machines in my first job, and even smoking in the newsroom. In a way, I kind
3: of miss that. (laughs) Um, We we live in an age of disruption, especially in the jobs market, where technology and globalism have made huge changes in how people work, how long they stay in jobs, and what a career even means.
1: And that can be rough, but they can also be a force for opportunity, for reinvention.
3: Right, because jobs will disappear in some areas, pop up in other areas, and figuring out how you're going to make a career in all that is much harder than ever.
1: Yeah, and that's the subject of this show. Our guest is journalist, professor, and former NPR host, Farai chadea, author of The Episodic Career. Thanks for joining us.
2: I'm so glad to be with you.
1: The Episodic Career, the name of your book. Right. What is it?
2: Yeah, The Episodic Career is already a reality for roughly a third of the workforce, which is that you have shorter periods at individual jobs. You remain nimble. You remain focused on lifelong learning. And The Economist recently had a cover about lifelong learning being the key to success at employment.
1: You actually said there are three pillars that we need to be aware of in how we relate to the job market. What are they?
2: Well, we need resilience. That's really Mm -hmm. the one that I focus on the most um, because it seems like a soft skill, but it's really not. Um, Resilience is the emotional capacity to, to kind of lift yourself up when you've had a setback And then you've got uh, basically this idea of lifelong learning and retraining. And also, I think that you have to be an investigator of your own world and keep an eye on on job trends and not be someone who's at the whim of the market, but who understands where the market is going.
1: Yeah. I want to hear about you, your Mm -hmm. story, why you got involved with this book.
2: I was someone who felt my career was broken. And then I understood it wasn't broken. I was just having a different career than a lot of people. I started 25 years ago at Newsweek. And um, since I've worked in print, television, online, I've worked as an independent journalist, I've started my own small website way in the past. Yeah, podcasting, all sorts of things. And I realized that this episodic career model was a thing. It wasn't just a broken career. It was like, well, if you're curious and you want to switch jobs and switch disciplines and sometimes work for yourself and sometimes work for other people and sometimes do both at the same time, that is a thing. And it's actually something that's becoming much more common.
3: So one thing that I was really struck by in the book is it's the self knowledge part. Mm-hmm. And and we don't need to get into the complicated rubrics, but you have a yeah, you get a little bit of it again. Yeah. You, don't, you don't think the audio from our from our studio dog is helpful to the <laughs> ambiance of the show. Well maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> so but you talk about self knowledge right. and really figure out what kind of person you are and without getting into the details of the acronyms, but there are things like are you a, a more cautious person or are you a risk taker? Are exactly. you someone who wants to innovate or are you someone who really enjoys executing, getting stuff done? Right. Um, so tell me about how you came up with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I started doing interviews for this book essentially over the years. I was doing a lot of political reporting, which I still do, and inevitably everything came back to jobs. And so I started interviewing all these people and I found certain differences and how, in many cases, very successful people navigated their careers and and boiled it down to certain principles. So it's this idea of are you trying to do high social impact work? Or is that a neutral to you. You know, you're not trying to hurt anybody, but you're not trying to change the world. And then I also talk about things like your risk tolerance. Are you more of a solo decision maker? Um, do you innovate or like to wrap things up?
1: Yeah. So, and so you think it's really important for us to be self-aware?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and
1: And also how we fit into the job market, not just in terms of the job we want, but how we relate to other workers. I mean, how we compare to other workers.
2: Yeah. So many people are introverts in professions that require the traits of an extrovert. And they're miserable, a lot of them. And and that's just one example of, I mean, like, if you're an introvert, you could be a used car salesperson, but it might be torture every day. If you like torture, maybe then <laughs> it's your perfect job. But but there are many more subtle things than that, that really determine whether we find life satisfaction. And, and that's why you'll find people at all different salary ranges being tremendously happy with their career or tremendously unhappy it's not about you know your title and your office and and the money it's about are you in the right place
3: i think that's so true and we always have a certain type is held up to us as the model, this very extroverted, risk taking, innovator, entrepreneur type. That's good for some people, but even that person needs yeah. much more cautious people on her team saying, okay, how are we actually going to achieve this? How are we going to execute these plans?
2: Yeah, the innovator ex- executor teams are really common in tech companies, for example, sometimes you'll have, you know, the visionary leader, innovator, um, possibly a founder of the company. And then you have the executor, who's more like the CTO, the CFO, somebody who makes sure that the trains run on time. Have, Have you ever had
1: a job that made you unhappy?
2: Yes, several. But what I've learned is that, again, it's a question of fit. So if you believe that you're desperate, and you have no other options, you know, sometimes you just got to suck it up. But if you have options, and most of us listening to this podcast are lucky enough to have options, um, then being miserable in a job can be seen as a choice. And I don't say that to be judgmental of other people. I say that from my own experience. And sometimes I stayed too long at places where it wasn't a a good fit for me. Um, But I think that there, there are some very basic things, like your biology, That will determine whether or not you're good for a job. So at one point, I was doing a radio shift where I was going to work starting work at 4am. And my body couldn't deal with that. And I became a total hot mess. And I really do believe a lot of it was biological that I just wasn't meant to work those hours.
1: Did did that have something to do with a red velvet cupcake?
2: Oh, yes, (laughs) I, I, I developed a strong addiction to sugar. And my favorite was red velvet cupcakes. I mean, it's it's I still do indulge in very good red velvet cake, but I will not eat just any old corner store cupcake. <laughs> basically, if you see changes in your behavior, your weight, um, and you also feel that, that your job is not um, one that you're suited for, you shouldn't underestimate the stress. And that's one reason why I talk about how it's, it's basically a relationship. You have a relationship with your work and figure out what that relationship is and make it as good as you can. But you think
1: that there are ways where we can combat stress in a creative way. What are a few ideas there?
2: One of the things to do is, first of all, looking at things like if you're in a job setting some boundaries. So in France, there's a law about electronic communications on work where you can't text people in the middle of the night. I mean, I think Americans might pass out if we did that here. But the idea is that you can self-regulate and you can just tell people. I mean, I have one of my friends who's an executive at a finance company says that she trains her staff that they don't communicate, after hours, except in emergencies. And then all of the things that people do for, for health and wellness, which is, you know, exercise, light, paying attention to circadian rhythms. And that's the human body's natural instinct to wake up with the light and go to bed sometime in the dark. And when you start messing with that, it really puts a stress on your body, but it's just human evolution. And, and when you fight evolution, there's a price to be paid. So some of it is just the physical stuff and the, and the meditation, the mind-body stuff, and some of it is optimizing your, your life to minimize stress.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
3: This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. And we're speaking with Farai Jadaia, the author of The Episodic Career, How to Thrive at Work in an Age of Disruption. So let's talk a little bit about some of the ways we navigate this new world of work and the episodic career. What are some things people can do to start getting themselves prepared for a life that isn't necessarily going to be just signing on to Procter & Gamble or some big company and staying there?
2: Well, one thing I really recommend people do, and I'm due for one right about now myself, is a skills audit. And so make a list of things that you could do for money and then circle the ones where you think you could really make a living and star the ones that you love doing. And so go after that trifecta first. I love it. It pays well. I can do it. And then, I mean, the most important Part is to say to yourself, first of all, your skills should be evolving, so look for opportunities to learn things. But what you are valued for in the marketplace may be different than the things you value most yourself, and that's where your decision making comes in. Like, do I work one job for money and another for love? Do I work for money and volunteer for love? Um, you know. Uh, Do I find the job that maybe pays a little bit less than I wanted to, but I'm happy every second of the day? I mean, within reason. So you have to really make sense of what your career map says alongside the needs that America has. What are the economics? of your area, maybe there's something you love to do, but it just doesn't really pay well enough to live where you are, then you have to decide whether to use other skills you have, learn new skills, or move. And I really do believe in being practical.
1: Let's look at searching for a job. Mm -hmm. In the episodic career, you have five to-dos, five things you should do when searching for a job.
2: So among the things that I really advise are using online tools but not being reliant on any one online search yeah, you, system.
3: Yeah, you, you just a little aside, but at one point you said sometimes people are surprised that outside of tech fields, looking for a job online isn't always as effective as people think Absolutely,
2: it is. Absolutely, because institutions get deluged with candidates. It's it's harder than you think. And so one of the things I, I found out, much to my surprise, is that walking the beat works, um, physically going to where you see help wanted signs and say, when are you hiring? At least you get the jump on it. What are you going to be hiring for? Don't necessarily just think of it as what jobs are available today. Introduce yourself to local businesses and say... Let me know.
3: That's how I got my first job. I oh, that's fantastic. I walked into this really cool backpacking outdoor store literally like six or seven times before I've... And then when they finally said, oh, yeah, can you start tomorrow? Oh, my
2: <laughs> gosh. I love that. That is such a great story. And so just, yeah. So
3: that was number one online
1: what, or was that one? Number... was
2: online, two, Walk the Beat, and then okay, good. networking and uh, Headhunters.
1: Now, networking. One of the points you made is using your social network, but also considering that maybe it's the outer edge yeah. of your social network that's more valuable than the people you know best in terms of helping you find a job. Why is that?
2: Yeah, it's really fascinating. So it's, it's called loose ties. And there's this idea that within your core social circle, people have a ton of common reference to, you know, what is happening in society, and often come up with the same job leads you could have found on your own. Whereas the people who are a little further out, like, let's say that you stay in touch with one of your college professors, or there's some, you know, social networking group, or business networking group, or religious networking group, and somebody that you see once a year or twice a year, if you start chatting people up, they're the ones who have a much broader sense in their own way of what's happening. So because they
3: don't share, they don't overlap. Yeah. They they don't overlap as much.
2: Yeah. They're not telling you what you already know and they're not. And also sometimes I think that the loose ties perceive who you are differently than you do. And can be more accurate, because they're not as invested in your self image of who you are. So you might say, I'm a so and so and so. It's like, well, don't you also do accounting for the church? Um, you know, if we're looking for someone who is a, you know, both a lawyer and an accountant, and you might not have even thought of bundling certain skills that you have. But I think that for the most part, we can really enable each other to have great careers you by also- looking out for each other.
1: And then you also talked about checking your market value.
2: Oh, yeah. Once you've done the skills audit, then you have to assess what the value of those skills are, because a lot of people, they, they're right or wrong about how valuable they are. And one thing that often happens is that women in particular undervalue their labor, Um, in a dollar amount and lowball themselves in negotiations. But women often lowball themselves, but then also people assume that what they got paid last year to do something is what they'll get paid this year. And changes happen all the time. And so, for example, with computing skills, you know, computer coding skills, etc., there are waves of innovations. So if your skills are only at a certain level, you may have the same level of skill in that field, but the, the market value of it may have degraded because people have moved on to other things. Like so,
3: you said, you know, you, you said you taught yourself HTML in 1996. It was a really cutting-edge, cool exactly. skill. that Today, you don't need it anymore. Yep,
1: that's, that's absolutely right. You also talk about the importance of, if you are thinking about launching a new career or searching for a job, of trying to make several new contacts each day. Yeah, absolutely a, specific goal. Yeah. A I, task. yeah,
2: I was really kind of hardcore about it when I was looking for a new job and, and wasn't just a new job. I knew I wanted a new direction. I contacted three people a day, every day for a few weeks and got a, a lead on a faculty job. And, um, I knew that I had this grab bag of skills, and I wanted to see where they could be applied. So I was, in some ways, relying on the judgment of others to reflect back to me who I could be. Wow. And, yeah. That's neat. That's yeah. Really, that's, yeah. I,
3: I never thought of it that way. No,
2: it's really useful.
3: But no matter how well you manage this work-life balance, still sometimes bad stuff happens. Oh, and, all the time. <laughs> um, You talk a lot about resilience. You say, yes. or, you know, do you snap or do you snap back? Yes. Oh, can this be learned?
2: Absolutely. Resilience can be learned. I mean, just as helplessness can be learned. There's all of these interesting cognitive behavioral and neuroscience studies. But resilience can be learned as as and and people have different ways of doing it. But one way is to just consider consider yourself, consider your inner talk. A lot of times, people's inner talk will say, I failed, I failed, I failed. And maybe you focus on I learned, I learned that I don't have the skills to do this and I'd like to do it better so I'm going to study or I learned that not only do I not have the skills to do this, I really hate it. So isn't it great that I know this and I'm going to move on? But basically, the, the resilience comes from this fundamental optimism that you have a place in the world, that something is there's something that you're meant to do.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: And, and maybe yeah. it's not what you're doing now and that's okay.
1: Final question. What solution, what one thing that you've learned through the course of writing the episodic career that you would like to share with us?
2: I think that I have a profound faith in the American worker. Um, People are creating solutions every day in the workplace, small ones, big ones. A lot of it is about treating other people with respect and kindness. For example, I bring up the story of a woman in New York who's had 14 jobs in 25 years and at several different times. She's seen the writing on the wall. She's known that the company's either going to fail or her division is going to fail. And so she really has mentored younger people to be like, look, we, we had a really great thing here. It's not going to last forever take what you've learned from this, make some contacts, but you got time to pack up your suitcase and go home or, or move on. You, you don't, you don't have to, to, you know, go home, but you can't stay here and to teach that skill of being respectful of the cycle of jobs. And like, it's okay if it ends, you know, it's okay if you've, you know, if you're upset too, you know, cause sometimes it is upsetting and it's okay to be upset, but you got to move on.
3: And your job isn't always your whole life, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. It shouldn't be your whole life. Um, but, But a lot of times it feels like your whole life, especially when it's going extremely well or extremely poorly.
1: Farai Chidea, author of The Episodic Career. Thanks so much.
2: Oh, I really enjoyed this. Thank you.
3: So that was such a fascinating conversation. And one of the things that I was intrigued by was stress and Uh, Farai is really focused on kind of self-awareness, self-knowledge. If your job is stressing you out, you have to be aware of it, combat it, and maybe that means you should leave the job, but... As, as you often point out, Richard, there are also good kinds of stress. You thrive I love on stress. stress. I, I, I love stress in my job. Uh,
1: whenever I'm doing newscasts, people think I'm crazy because I jump into the studio 45 seconds or a minute beforehand. And the reason I do it is I'm trying to get off that high. I want it to be a moment of exhilaration that translates into my voice and into my vocal performance. Well, so, yes. so I get off on it. So, right, right. Know, and I have deadlines all the time
3: well as a former rock climber you know and mountain biker i can say i think humans need stress of certain kinds and we often need to be pushed to the edge different people are different but you need to recognize the difference between bad stress where you're maybe being held responsible for stuff you can't really control and good stress which is the high pressure Exhilaration of doing something and know you 're doing a good job one of the
1: points that Farai made that I think is really valuable is listen to your body mm-hmm. i mean if i mean I could cope with getting up at three thirty in the morning to do my newscaster job in the morning, but a lot of people they can 't and one manifestation of that is. They gain a lot of weight, right? Or their health changes in some way, right? Listen to your body.
3: Yeah, yeah. Another thing she talked about that I think is really important is worth spending some time on is this process, and she has a whole way of doing it in the book of categorizing what you like to do you know are you a risk-taking person are you a more conservative person are you someone who likes to execute or are you more innovative we tend to stress oh risk-taking innovation or everything but in fact a lot of people aren't happy in really risky jobs they like to do the more uh, executive type of work and they need to be aware of that
1: yeah it's important to figure out how you fit in not just with
3: regard to the job market but other people who are working or different job categories. And even just your own life happiness. The other point, I often think about this, if you're also if you're a boss, if you're running an operation, you also have to recognize this. You want people on your team who are different. You want some optimists, you want some pessimists, you want some people who are good at execution, and you want some innovators and once you get them all together in a team sometimes the execution people are also surprisingly innovative yeah you know i mean these shouldn't be stereotypes that limit people but i do think people are happier and more productive if they're more or less suited to the things that fit their personality one of the
1: Podcast I think it's really worth going back and listening to if, if you're finding this podcast interesting is the Ron Friedman podcast about work because I think it's something like 40% of people say they're bored in their job which is right. a frightening statistics it's you know it's a
3: lot of it's not just human potential but it's 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 days of potential human happiness slipping down the drain that you're never going to get back and that podcast is about how to
1: have a more stimulating job and also if you're a boss how to make the workplace more
3: interesting to your employees right now another thing for i talked about sometimes a certain amount of selfishness a certain amount of self-focus is valuable selfishness is maybe not the right word. But think about how the job is leading to future opportunities. Don't be shy about moving on to the next thing when the time comes and and be willing to um, to put yourself first in certain situations. And, and two more
1: things, the importance of lifelong learning, which I think almost any job expert would tell you is important in our disruptive and changing job market, and also resilience. Just yeah. s- stick with it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's maybe the hardest thing. I mean, not everyone has that innate capacity so uh, you know are there ways that you can bolster your own resilience and I, I think that's a topic we should come back to for me
1: the hardest thing is saying goodbye to you jim i know it's always a challenge <laughs> it's how do we fix it i'm richard davies i'm jim may our producer is miranda Schaefer. our intern is julia lewis and the music is by lou stravinsky we're produced by davies content we make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. that's it